Well, we're continuing in our Jonah series this morning. We started uh, last week uh, in Jonah chapter 1, and we discovered that uh, life is not so good when you run from God and you need to run towards God. And so today we're going to discover actually what happens at times when you run from God and some of the consequences of that. Now, what is the most scared or fearful that you have ever been in your life? Some of you, it's like... Last night I saw a spider in my room and I was totally fearful and scared. Some of you, you see a clown and it's like, whoa, I'm scared. Others, you get into elevators and and confined spaces and you are scared um, to bits. Uh, Have there been a time in your life when you felt totally out of control and you didn't know what was going to happen or what was uh, going to be done and you felt scared? I remember a couple of years ago, remember when we had that earthquake? And it was like totally weird. And I was in my office and uh, one of the guys in our, in our office, uh, suddenly the, the earth started to shake and he ran out into the hallway. Normally he's calm, got everything under control. And he started freaking out. And he started, what's going on? Like the world was coming to an end. The place we were at was about to fall down. He was so scared of the earth shaking. It was unbelievable. And then I remember watching a movie quite a few years ago called Panic Room. Anyone ever seen that movie, Panic Room? Well, it's about uh, basically some intruder that gets into a house. And after I watched it, I didn't think it was, I didn't find it that scary when I watched it. But then for the next few weeks, every time there was a noise in my house, I was like, oh, an intruder's coming in. And I just couldn't sleep at all for about a week because I thought an intruder was going to come into my house. I, was, I found myself being a little fearful and a little scared. And then there was this time when my cousin, who was my, my best friend, uh, we had spent the weekend at his parents' house. His parents lived on the west coast of Wales in the UK. Um, and at the time, he lived with, 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 with us, with my parents. And so we had spent the weekend away. We were traveling back. It was late on a Sunday night. And it was about 1.30 in the morning. And uh, the, the, the way that we went home was just through the back roads, all these windy roads. It took about two and a half hours to get home. And there was this one place, this, uh, uh, this section of, uh, of the road where there was this old English pub called the Whittingham. And the Whittingham was built probably in about the 15th or 16th century, but it was notorious for being haunted. And so people were like, would go there to see if they could spot ghosts and all that sort of stuff. Well, there'd been many reports that people, as they are traveling down, especially at night, they would see ghosts in the road. And they would see, like, this young girl, like, walk out and stuff. I mean, it's kind of freaky, right? And then, uh, like, others would say that they, that they saw, like, a man with a stagecoach and the horses. And, and they would all be in this, like, old 16th century clothing. And so I, I just thought it was funny. So I started mentioning this to Wes as we were trying to, to get up. And I mentioned this first service, but Wes... Uh, needs a bit more of a man card. He's a bit girly at times. He wears like white linen pants. I mean, what guy wears white linen pants? And so at times he needs, and and he knows this, and I tell him, I'm like, bro, you need like a man card and go some scruff on your your face or something. Uh, And so I was telling him about it, and he gets a little scared about certain things. So as we're driving past, it's late at night, early in the morning, and suddenly as we're driving past the Whittingham, I spot With the corner of my eye, I see a man dressed in like 16th century clothing 
on a horse coming out of the dark. And like there's a pub and there's just fields all around. Out of the dark, he comes into our line of sight, looks intently at us, and then goes back into the dark. And suddenly, the hairs on the back of my neck, they just stood to attention. It was like, oh my word, what is going on? You just felt the cold in the car. And suddenly, the words came out of my mouth, did you see that? And I look over at Wes, knowing he needs a bit bit more of a man card. And I look at him, and his mouth is like dropped open to the floor. He's like, he's as white as a sheet And all he can do is just nod his head. Now, I don't know if that night, if we score a ghost or not. I'm not even sure if I believe in ghosts. Maybe it was just the fact that it was 1.30 in the morning. We'd been talking about it. Our minds were playing tricks on us. But all I know is for the rest of the ride home, it's like we didn't say a word to each other. I could not sleep that night. It was the freakiest, scariest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And some of you, you've gone through moments in your life that have been scary. That have even been fearful. But I guarantee almost this morning that your story of being scared and in fear is nothing compared to the story of Jonah and Jonah's story. Now, if it is, I want to hear about it because I think it would make a great video for us to show on a Sunday morning. But I guarantee your story of being scared is nothing compared to Jonah. See, Jonah had just experienced the worst storm of a generation. He'd been out on the Mediterranean Sea in a boat full of experienced sailors, and this storm arose. It was the storm of a generation. The storm of the decade. And remember, we talked last week that Jonah had actually ran away from God instead of running to God. He had been disobedient to God. God told him, go to the city of Nineveh and declare my truth to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah decided, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. So he decided to go to southern Spain instead. He had turned his back on the plan that God had for his life and things had gotten so bad that the sailors in the boat, the shipmen, they decided to pick Jonah up, throw him over the side of the boat into the raging sea to find out if it would appease God and the storm would stop. Now, most of us would think, what an idiot, what a bunch of idiots. That's the craziest thing that you've ever done. But the crazy thing is, as soon as they... They threw Jonah overboard. The storm actually did stop and they appeased God. Now, sometimes, we'll just stop here for a moment. Sometimes we realize that we have to give up. We have to stop running. We have to die to our own plans and dreams before they can live again. See, Jonah was on his way to southern Spain. He probably had plans to spend the summer on the Costa del Sol, on the beach, getting a tan, drinking Spanish sangria, eating Spanish ham, and watching some Spanish football. Sounds like a good holiday or good vacation to me. That's probably what his plan was. However, the night that the sailors threw Jonah overboard, his dream died. The dream to spend the summer in Spain had died. And it's in these moments, 
that we feel that life is all over because you can imagine Jonah is now in the water. He is sinking. He's thinking it is all over. This is it. My life has come to an end. It's in these moments when we hit rock bottom that we think that nothing more bad can happen to us that often the floor opens and we continue to fall. Have you ever had one of those days? When you thought nothing more could go wrong than it has. Like you've had a morning, you've got up, your hair is a mess, sticking up like mine. You can't do anything with it. You get up, the coffee machine's broke. You know, you, you put your socks on, you realize you've got holes in your socks. And you, you, you're getting out the house, you get to the car. Maybe the car's not working right or the air condition isn't working in the, in the car. You drive to Dunkin' Donuts to get your coffee. They don't have your favorite coffee. They only have decaf, not caffeinated it's no good. You get to work. You think this has been the worst morning. You get stopped by the police. This has been the worst morning ever. You think nothing more can go wrong. And then even more stuff goes wrong. And this was the type of day that Jonah was having. Not only did God tell him to do something he didn't want to do, now he's made the decision, I'm moving countries, I'm getting up from the place that I know, the place that I live, to another country. Then a major storm hits, and now Jonah is sinking to what he thinks is his death, for it only to get worse. So we're going to pick up this story in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. This is what happened. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So you can imagine Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean and then suddenly a big fish sees him and like gulp, Jonah's gone. Now, how many of you, like me, your biggest fear of the water is that a big fish will come and like bite your ankles or something? No, you guys are brave. I'm telling you. How many of you are like fearful that they might drown in the water? Like some of you who are not fearful of the water at all. Oh wow, you're like you guys are really brave. Well, I'm scared of if I go in the water of a big fish coming. So Many years ago, back in 1994, I was vacationing with my family. We're in Naples, Florida, and uh, we're, uh, my, my mom and my brother and my sister, they're on the, on the beach, and I'm in the water with my dad, and we're just throwing a football to each other. And my dad gets a little zealous. He throws it a little hard. It goes over my shoulder. So I start swimming towards the ball. And as I'm about to put my hand on the ball, suddenly this big fin just goes right past me. And I'm like, as fearful, I'm like, ah! And so I take my hand off the football, and I swim back as fast as I can. And like the next, the, all, thing, all I can talk about for the next two hours is like, I nearly got bit by a shark. It was a shark attack. And I start telling everybody, exaggerating like how big the fin really was. And then we found out like that night there had been dolphins in the area. So that's my claim that I've swam with dolphins, you know, at one point in my life. But it's fearful. And I'm sure there's lots of people who probably went to Ocean City this year and they did not want to get in the water for fear of a shark shark attack because there's been some sightings, shark sightings around, you know, Ocean City and then North Carolina, there's some down there. And I'll even like make you even more scared. Did you know on the coast of Miami, just a couple of miles off the coast of Miami is one of the most shark infested waters in, in, in the whole of planet Earth. So who wants to go to Miami now, you know? But 
That's people's fear. And for, so for Jonah, Jonah came to the bottom of the ocean and suddenly a fish didn't bite him, just came and swallowed him. And Jonah found himself in the belly of a fish, of a stinky, slimy, nasty fish. And if there is anything on earth that may seem actually like hell on earth, it was what Jonah was experiencing. But what Jonah found, it's in those moments when it feels like everything is going wrong. Nothing else could go, uh, could, could go wrong. Life stinks that often we find it's actually our salvation. See, sometimes God will use our greatest fears and the places that actually may seem like hell on earth to save us from ourselves and thrust us into the plans that God has for us. See, it's this part of the story that many people argue about the legitimacy of the story of Jonah. Last week, we said that there's many scholars out there who think that the story of Jonah is what we call an allegory or a parable. It's just a fiction story. And this is the reason why, because they don't believe that somebody could be swallowed by a fish and last for three days inside a fish. See, a lot of scientists will say that a fish, no matter how big, cannot swallow a human whole. That they could not, that a person could not survive this type of episode without being bitten and chewed up. However, many scientists uh, will disagree with that, and including the scientists at AnswersInGenesis.org. And if you ever want to like talk about or look at uh, just uh, some of the, the things in the Bible, are they true or not from a science view, it's a, just a good resource to go there and, and take a look. And this is what else that they, they, they say there about Jonah. They say that the blue and sperm whales, as well as the great white shark and the whale sharks, have the ability to swallow a human whole. And in fact, the sperm whale's uh, esophagus alone is over 20 inches wide and there is no need for them to chew food. So if you're like super skinny, then you probably could get through the throat and into the belly of a sperm whale. Then other people will argue that it's impossible for a person to stay alive in a fish or a whale for three days due to the lack of oxygen. Because if you're in, if you're, if you're in the belly of a fish, there's no oxygen for you to breathe, so you're going to die. However, there are some fish, like the lungfish, that actually uh, occasionally come up to the water. They take a big gulp of air. It comes into their lungs and into their stomach, and it provides oxygen into their body. So maybe a big old lungfish came and swallowed Jonah. Then there are scientists who say it is impossible for somebody to be inside a stomach and not die. Because the stomach is designed to break down food so that it can be digested. However, the whale, for example... After food passes through its esophagus, it travels into a multi-chambered stomach where the food is first crushed. So it's like this crushing thing that crushes them. Then it passes like a conveyor belt into a second chamber where there are all these acids that will break down the food so it can be digested. So if Jonah was able to stay in the first chamber, then he would have had every chance of survival. And the metabolism of big fish is a lot, lot slower than human beings. Someone actually could last for three days in the stomach of a fish because their metabolism is so slow. Well, all that being said, 
I just wanted to give you some facts. You know, if you're thinking, well, is the story of Jonah right? I don't really believe this. Could it be possible? It could be possible. But all that being said, Jonah was literally in a living hell. And I bet he was not in the mood that night for some sushi or some fish and chips, right? I love fish and chips, but I would not have wanted fish and chips. Maybe, hey, let's put a salmon on the grill tonight. No, thank you very much. But so what happens to a person who is swallowed by a big fish and then spends the next three days in the fish's belly where it's nasty, slimy, stinky, all this other stuff's going on. You're thinking, what is going on? What happens when you're in that situation and you think you're going to die? Well, I think this is what happens. You've got a couple of days to think about some things in life. You realize that maybe God's plan for your life was better than your plan for your life. You may think being in Nineveh is maybe a little better than being in the belly of this great big fish. See, it was in this moment of devastation for Jonah that he found himself going through three emotions that we all seem to go through when life just totally stinks. So if you're going through a moment in your life right now and you feel that life just stinks, life is like like you're in the belly of a fish and nothing else could get worse, then there's three emotions that you go through. See, we think going to our in-laws for a weekend is bad enough, right? We think the Pittsburgh Steelers winning the Super Bowl. I can't believe I even said it. I'm sorry. But we think that is like the worst thing that can happen in life. We think that Monday morning traffic, there is nothing worse than it, but there is. If you take a kid on a long journey and they start whining, that's way worse than Monday morning traffic. But if you think that is the worst that life can get, well, think again. Have a thought for this guy, Jonah. For if there is such a thing as what we would call hell on earth, Then Jonah experienced it, Jonah felt it, and Jonah even smelt it. So these are the three emotions. Emotion number one, what you go through when life stinks. God help me. God help me. Look at this, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. Have you noticed when you go through life, your first response is often to pray, right? Jonah's first response was to pray. We often think it's uncommon for people to pray. We think we live in a world where people are past praying. But statistics will actually show you that in the West, and what I mean by the West is the, uh, America, uh, Canada, Europe, the Australias, uh, the, the Western countries. We will see that statistics will show overall church attendance is on the decline. But people who pray is actually the same and maybe even in Increasing. In fact, in 2007, the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting uh, Company, did a survey in the UK uh, on prayer. 
And the UK has a, uh, a lot more secular, what I, I would say secular culture than here in the US. A lot less people go to church in the UK than they do in the US. And in, in, I would say probably in 2007, the culture of the UK in regards to God was probably very similar to what it is here in the United States in 2015. But they did this study on prayer and they found out in, in a culture where people are totally unchurched, that six out of ten people regularly pray to God. Six out of ten people. In a culture that is totally unchurched. See, when trouble strikes, people turn to God and people pray. When we lose hope in our own efforts, we pray. And our prayers are all the same. This is our prayer. God help me. We want God to get us out of, out of the trouble that we're in. And even over the last few weeks, we've seen in our own church, we've seen some different ones who have gone through tragedies and struggles and situations in their lives. And our first response is to pray. They let us know about it and they say, can you pray? And we will say, we will pray. Because when trouble strikes, our first response is to pray. There is something ingrained within our human soul to cry out to a higher being. And this is exactly what Jonah did. Jonah's first response was, God, help me. God, help me. But so often we cry out to God and we use that prayer, God, help me. We go through that emotion and sometimes God doesn't answer. Sometimes God doesn't answer in the way that we want him. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on. So that leads us to the second emotion when that doesn't happen. And this is the second emotion. You did this. You did this. Look, this is what Jonah says. Jonah chapter 2, verse 4 and, uh, sorry, 3 and 4. said, you threw me into the depths, the ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I love what Jonah says there. I think it's so funny. Remember last week we said Jonah disobeyed God. Jonah ran from God instead of to God. And now he's in the belly of the whale. And this is what Jonah's saying. God, you drove me from your presence. I'm like, God didn't do anything. It was all Jonah's fault because Jonah was running from God. But I think it's amazing that people will blame God for things that they don't understand. The why questions in life always seem to point us towards God. I saw this article this week about Arian Foster, who is the uh, Houston um, Texans running back. And some of you, you may want Arian Foster on your fantasy football team this year. Maybe you wanted him a couple of years ago. Uh, but this is what he said. He is an, uh, an open atheist. And he said this about the recent floods in Houston. And there was some devastating floods that went on. He said, if God, and I quote this, if God intervened to spare the folks on the south side, why would he beget fires of vengeance upon those who happen to purchase a home on the other side? He's basically saying, if there is a God, why would God allow bad stuff to happen to some people and not others? And then he continued in this and he said, We've been to the moon and there's no heaven there. We've dug in the dirt 
there's no devil down there. Trying to prove that there is no God. And he's basically saying, look, we, we've been up into space. There's no God. We've done in the dirt. There's no hell or there's no devil. We're, we're, you, you see the things in life, the, the good things and the bad things that happen. If there was a good God, then bad things wouldn't happen to good people. That's what he's saying right there. And every time a disaster happens, this question always comes up. Why would God allow this? Why does God allow this to happen? You know, 56% of Americans believe that God is in control of all earthly events. And then this statistic, it surprised me. 44% of Americans, you know, we're intelligent people, right? 44% of Americans think that natural disasters are actually a sign from God to mankind. That's what 44% of Americans believe. See, the truth is this. God is not to blame for most things. Things just happen because it's part of being a human, being in this life. However, there are times when God will allow certain things to happen to prove his love and his power. You just have to read the story of Job. God didn't put bad things on Job, but he allowed some things to happen to prove who he was. Then, There are very few occasions when God will actually orchestrate things that seem maybe like hell on earth to show man his ultimate plan of salvation and grace. And this is what happened with Jonah. See, Jonah was like many of us. When life stinks, he went through the emotion of blaming God. He asked the why questions of this life. And these are some of the why questions that we ask. God, why did this happen to me? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did that person have to die? Why did that person have to get cancer? Why did that person have to go through that illness? Why did tragedy have to happen to the innocent? Why does the poor and needy have to suffer? These are the questions we ask, and ultimately our emotion is, God, you did this. You did this. Well, most people stop there. But there is a third emotion. And if you can get past, God help me, and you did this, then you can get to the third emotion. If you can get past the why questions of life, when you, you, you don't understand the things of this life, if you understand that your life in your limited capacity cannot answer all the why questions that there is, or that God is a God in heaven who is to be trusted, and if we can just trust God that he knows best, then we will arrive at the third emotion. See, this emotion, the third emotion, it is life-changing and life-transforming. It's the emotion that gets you back on your feet and leads you to a calling that is bigger than yourself, even while you may be in the belly of a nasty, stinky, gooey, big old fish. And this is the emotion. God, use me. God, use me. And Jonah arrived at this emotion. And this is what Jonah said. 
Jonah chapter 2, verses 5 to 10. Jonah said, I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I'm like gagging at this point, you know. Verse 6, he said, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, who gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatch me from the jaws of death. I just love, he's in the belly of a fish, and he's so eloquent with his words. If it was me, I'd be like, man, life sucks. That was all I would say. Then verse 7, he says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then verse 10, I love this. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. It wasn't just that, okay, you can pass through. It was like spit him out on the beach. See, Jonah, when he got into the belly of the whale after he had passed the, God help me, you did this. Why do bad things happen to good people? He got to a place where his attitude started to change. And we see some of the things here of Jonah's attitude. And this is what Jonah's attitude changed to. It changed from being ungrateful to now being thankful. It was an attitude of thanksgiving. He cried out to God and he said, you snatched me from the jaws of death. Thank you, God. It was an attitude of remembrance. Verse 7 said, I remembered the Lord. I didn't blame God, but I remembered God, all the mercies and the grace and, and, and all the, the love and the joy that there is in God. I remembered that. The third attitude that Jonah found was an, an attitude that I called revival. And what we mean by that is Jonah had turned his back on God, ran away from God. Now revival was turning back towards God. It was reviving his relationship and his spirit towards God. And this is what he said in verse 8. He said, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. See, Jonah in this moment was turning his, his face back towards God and remembering the mercies and the grace of God. The fourth attitude change that Jonah had was one of surrender. He said this in verse 9, I will offer sacrifices to the Lord to you, God, with songs of praise. He surrendered unto God. Your will, not my will. And then the last attitude change that Jonah had was an attitude change of worship. He realized that even in the belly of a whale, that you can lift up your voice and worship God. He said this in verse 9, My salvation comes from the Lord. See, emotion three, God use me, is born out of these choices and these changes in attitude. And the statement, God use me, can cause a stinky, smelly, nasty fish to spit you out onto the beach so that you can start to walk again in the protection and the grace and the mercy and the power of God. And I don't know where you are in your life right now, but you may be in that place where you are 
crying out to God and saying, God, help me. That's your prayer. Life stinks right now. Say, God, help me. Maybe you're past that. Maybe you're in a place right now and you're saying, God, why? Why did you let this happen? Why did you do this? And you're in that place where you don't understand the why questions and you're blaming and questioning God for the things that are going on in your life. And if you're in those two places right now, I encourage you this morning, change your attitude a little. Start being thankful to God. Start remembering God. Start turning back towards God. Start surrendering and working worshiping God so you can get to that third emotion, which is God, use me. I surrender to you, use me. You know why? Because your storm was not meant to kill you. It wasn't meant to destroy you. That storm that Jonah was in, it wasn't meant to kill him. God had a plan for Jonah's life. And that part of life that feels like life is just bad and tough. And life stinks. That season that may, you may be in right now where things are so difficult. It doesn't have to be the end. But for Jonah, it was just the beginning of what God was going to do in his life. And you can discover, just like Jonah, that the grace of God reaches down to a rebellious, prideful man who is stuck in the belly of a stinky, nasty, gooey whale. And if God can reach down to a man like that, then you know what? God can reach down to you. If God's presence doesn't leave you when you're at the bottom of the ocean, then there's nothing that you can do in your life that God's presence cannot take you from. So today, make the choice. Choice. Choose this. Surrender to God. And say, God, use me. Next week, we are going to discover what really happens when we say that. The incredible things that God does and how God will really use you. In bigger ways than what you could ever imagine. But for today, let this be our prayer. God, use me. Let's bow our heads in prayer.